He is worthy, isn't he? I remember being, I think it's probably five or so years ago, um, but I started here as one of the youth leaders helping out with the kids uh, Sunday nights, and being a 19-year-old with not a lot of knowledge, not a lot of much going for him, um, having that opportunity to, to serve here um, and help out is cool, and I get the amazing opportunity to share something that is on my heart for, for all of us today, and so I am super excited and grateful for this, for this opportunity. Um, but I know that I am I'm finite. I know I'm not the most eloquent speaker. I know all these kinds of things. And so I first want to turn this time to the Lord, so if we can pray once again. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we're so thankful and grateful for who you are, that you are worthy, um, that you can take people who are seemingly insignificant, people who don't have a lot going for them, um, and transform them into an amazing person, transform them into somebody who is joyful and somebody who is at peace, something that this world doesn't understand. Um, God, and so I pray that as I speak today, God, you will give me the words to speak that, uh, that I can rightly handle your, your scripture, rightly handle your word um, in a way that is honoring to you. I pray for us hearing, myself included, that we can be, be challenged, we can be encouraged by the words that you have for us today. Um, so thank you once again for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, quick question for everybody. No need to raise your hands. But who wants to be happy? I think, I think that goes without saying that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants that. I remember, I think it was my eighth grade social studies teacher, he said there's a couple guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and I think you can add happiness to that list that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to seek after that thing that makes them happy. And so in the world, it is find that job that will make you happy. Find a spouse who will make you happy. Make enough money so that you will be happy. And I find that interesting because even in the world today, there's a bunch of things that can make us happy. For some of us, that could be scrapbooking or painting. For myself, that would drive me insane because I'm not that detail-oriented. I'm not artistic by any means. For me, something that makes me happy is softball. And that includes possibly winning. We, I think we have a shot at winning the championship. Phil was praying for us earlier. I think, I think God is the God of miracles, so I think we can win. And so softball is something that makes me happy. But as I was looking into this and, and, and studying, it's interesting because an article by Esquire has found the world's happiest man. They found him. So we, they needed to interview him to see exactly what was going on because he was tested and his brain scans showed that out of the negative emotions, he had very little and very high positive emotions. And so he is in um, Tibet, and he is a Buddhist monk. His name is Matthew Ricard, I believe is how you pronounce it. So we have found the world's happiest man, and he is a monk. He's somebody who has gone off, gotten rid of everything, given up everything to focus on his time and his meditation and all this kind of stuff. And it was one thing very interesting he mentioned was 
that you can't get rid of difficulties. Even being in a monastery, even, even being far out from kind of any difficulties of life, um, any relationships that might cause difficulty or finances that might cause difficulty. He said, you cannot remove difficulties. Difficulties are just something in life, and so you have to change how you perceive happiness. You need to increase your scale of happiness from not experience just, just these emotions that we have of, oh, I won the lottery that made me really happy, or, or what, it, what it may be, but raising our level of happiness. And so I found that interesting because even in the world today, they, they rank countries based on how happy they perceive the country to be. And it was out of a total of 156 countries. Now, where, where do you guys think that the US would land out of all 156 countries? Somebody shout out a number that they think. 20? 155. We weren't that low, but we were. Somebody, who said 20? We were 19. And so that, that kind of surprised me because you look at the United States, who supposedly has everything go them for, going for them, where we're supposedly the wealthiest, richest nation. Um, so shouldn't that make us number one? Shouldn't we be number one in the world in happiness if we lead, supposedly lead a lot of things? Shouldn't that make us the happiest country? Well, it's interesting because some of the other countries that I want to, want to talk about are number 13, Israel. Now, for me, that was something that was interesting because especially being in the Middle East and with seemingly all the problems that Israel has to face, they were still ranked higher than the U.S. They were 13th. Number 12, my homeland, Costa Rica, they were ranked number 12 um, on the list of 156 places. And I've been there, and it's Pura Vida life. It's the pure life. It's tranquilo. It's all this kind of stuff. Um, so I would definitely agree it's, it's a very happy place. But number one, it's very interesting to me that, that I found it. It was Finland. Finland was considered the happiest country in all the countries that were, that were researched here. And it looked at um, many things in coming up with this statistic. It looked at the GDP, the minimum wage, the healthcare, all, all these kinds of things were involved in giving Finland the number one ranking in, in the happiest um, countries available. And so it's, it's very interesting to me, this, this idea of, of happiness, because, like I said, it's, it can be different for all of us that, hey, we get, we get a bonus check from work. Yay, that's awesome. Hey, our kids do the chores. Woohoo! I didn't expect that. That's great. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very interesting to find out and look at a happiness, because also, on the other side, happiness seems to be very fickle. Right? It's, it's very circumstantial based on, on what is happening. That if you get into a fender bender right outside, that doesn't make you too happy. Or if you lose your wallet, and every time you lose your wallet or your keys, you have an important meeting to go to, and you just can't find it, and you can't get out the door, and, you sh and you're, you're worried about showing up late. These are things that don't really make you happy, right? They, they, they kind of make you upset, and so it seems that happiness is always that fleeting thing. You're always trying to chase after happiness. You're always trying to reach it. And sometimes you feel like you have it, but it can change in the drop of a hat. It can change by a sickness. It can change um, by time as you get older. 
And so I want to talk to us about something that is higher. I want to raise our standard today about what we should be thinking about. And so this is a biblical word called joy. We are called to be joyful. It is something that, um, as we'll look at today, is, is not based on circumstances. It's not based on the, the ebb and flow of life. And so my kind of definition for, for joy is um, kind of my, my own made up, but I think it's, I think it's biblical, and I think um, it will help us today to give us understanding. And so my, my definition for joy is an eternal, satisfying delight in the work and working of Jesus. I'll say it again. Joy is an eternal, soul-satisfying delight in the work and working of Jesus. And so this is something that, like I said, it's, it's first off that eternal. It's not based on the temporary. It's, it's based on a fixed thing that, that will last. And so as we'll look at this, this definition today, I wanted to, to break it up into kind of what I believe on, on the book of Philippians, what, what, what I want it to show, is that when you look in the past, you can see Jesus' actions. When you look in the future, you can see his future promises. So that should change us and should provide us joy for today. And so as we begin, like I said, we will be looking at the book of Philippians. Philippians is what, what many theologians call the epistle of joy, that Paul is writing this epistle to the Philippians, the Philippian believers, and he wants them to understand what joy is, that in these four chapters of this book, Paul uses the specific word joy 16 times. So that's four times every chapter, at least, Paul is using using the word joy. And so joy is, is laced throughout everything um, of, the, of, this, of this epistle. He wants us to understand what joy is, how we can experience it, and so I want us to look at that today. So, beginning with that, I want us to start in Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit um, in the book of Philippians, because like I said, it's the epistle of joy. And so I want us to kind of have a, a good understanding of what Paul is talking about when he talks about joy. And so it begins in Philippians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to, the not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now let me pause right there. Paul is talking right here um, of his desire for the Philippian believers to have this mind of Christ. And this, this mind of Christ is, is that of humility that um, we will look at continuing in verse 6. And so this is talking of, of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, pausing right there, we need to understand, okay, this is written in the New Testament. This is one of Paul's letters. So that's, it's not saying that in the Old Testament they couldn't experience joy at all. But I, I believe that this is the foundational basis for our joy. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And like I said, it, it came to fruition from out his birth until his death, resurrection, and ascension. That the Old Testament, it was, it was based on, on faith. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to David, they had put in their faith in the promise of a Messiah. They had put their faith in the promise of one who would come, who would, who would defeat the serpent in Genesis 3.15. That there would be somebody who would sit in the line of David forever. And so they had this faith in which they hung on to and, and held to. And that faith leads to, to hope. That hope is, okay, I, I believe God. I take him at his word. I am understanding what he said, and I am hopeful in, in the God in which I believe. Now, hope that is fulfilled, I believe, is joy. When we experience hope that is actually fulfilled, that is, wow, look at this is completed, this is finished, that gives us joy. And so we now have a great insight looking back into seeing the Old Testament, how they had faith. But we too also will look at that um, in a little bit. But I want us to, to look at how Paul writes it um, to understand our foundation in Jesus Christ is our joy. And so he says in verse 6, um, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That Jesus who is 100% God, 100% man, 100% God-man, um, came, he gave up everything, he gave up his throne, he gave up what his, his glory that, that he receives from being in heaven from, um, from that to be made as a human. He, he came, um, he stepped out of heaven and came into the creation in which he had created. Um, continuing on, it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So he had given up, like I said, the glory that he had of being, um, be, being in heaven to be, um, to be a man, in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So Jesus didn't come, as we all know the, the Christmas story, Jesus didn't come as the triumphant king. He didn't come as somebody with influence, somebody with power. He came as a baby born in a manger. He came as probably the most humbling of ways that you could come um, to, a, to a family that was relatively insignificant, to a place that nobody really knew about. Um, this was Jesus um, in, who, in whom is our king. He was the suffering servant. Um, and continuing, it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this Jesus um, is not somebody who just comes and takes the humble, humble, humble form of a servant, of man, of a little baby, gr grows up in a little town of Bethlehem, um, but he takes that all the way 
to the fact of death, even death on a cross, that he was the one who, while no, no deceitful thing came out of his mouth, he was the one who said, I'm going to, to die on the cross for these people. And so it's, it's important for us to, to understand that our joy is to be fixed. Our joy is, um, our, the foundation of our joy is a past action in which Jesus has done for us. That our joy is to be firmly grounded in the life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus are, is our joy in the past. So we need to understand that as our basis um, for joy. Um, and so, what does that mean for us looking forward? What does that mean for us in the future? So like I said earlier with, with the Old Testament, um, Old Testament people, they, they had that, that promise of this is what the Messiah will do. This is, this is the promise that we have um, of the Messiah. And so we kind of have the both and. We have the benefit of looking back in the Old Testament, seeing how they lived, but we have the benefit of the New Testament to be like, wow, this is the promise. This, this is what Jesus has done. So we have that assurance in the past of what he has done. But then also we can look to the future and say, wow, this is what Jesus will do. And so as we, we look in Philippians chapter 3, there is another promise that we have in verse, verses 20. And the, the passage says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so we've looked at our, our fixated hope that we have in the past in, in Jesus and what he has done, but we also need to look to the future to see the, 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 pre, the, the future promises that, that we will have. And so we, we have here that says, but our, our citizenship is in heaven, that what we have, we, we, we are strangers and aliens, I believe, as First Peter calls it, that this world is not, is not our home, that we are citizens of the true king. We are citizens of the true person with, with power, with authority, that is Jesus, that our citizenship is in heaven, our permanent residence, our permanent home. We're on vacation now. We, th this is our vacation um, in, in the sense that our, our true and present home is in heaven. And so Paul also mentions another, another promise, another thing that we have to, to hold on to, um, to give us joy, is that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so I, I picture that. I mean, you, you see throughout um, the Gospels and in, in certain accounts that Jesus talks about that he magically appeared in a room, that the, the doors were locked, and so I, I kind of... And excited to see what, what that will look like in heaven, as if we'll be able just to run right through walls, that we won't have to unlock doors, we won't have to do any of that kind of stuff. That's kind of how I picture it. Um, and so it's, it's that idea of making new, the making new of, of our bodies, that even at the age of 24 that I am, I woke up today on, on the air mattress I've been sleeping on for a couple months, and my, my back started to hurt, and I'm like, I'm 24, I shouldn't be, my back shouldn't start be starting to hurt now. Um, but maybe some of us who are maybe a little bit older feel that same thing, that 
your back, your knees, or your ears, or, or something you feel like is not where it was. Um, the hope is that Jesus will redeem, he will bring new our bodies, and so there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease, there will be no more death. Um, these are part of the promises that we have. Now, Scripture um, has, has many future promises that we have that we will become, but I just wanted us to look at the book of Philippians today and, and see the promises that we, that we can hold on to in this book. And it's, it's my, my hope and my desire that I maybe whet your appetite today for, for the book of Philippians so that you guys and, and myself included can look back and say, okay, this is a book of joy. I want to experience that. I want to understand more of what that looks like. Um, because it is the future, it is our, our, our hope in the future promises of God that will give us joy. And so we have looked at both the past and said our hope is secured by, our, our joy is secured by Jesus in the past. That what Jesus has done for me allows me to have that foundation of joy, but also looking ahead and looking forward and being like, okay, I see the future. I, I, I understand looking at, at what scripture says, I can have faith and believe in a God that, that gives me hope in, in promises that are to come, that while my body is wasting away, while um, I feel like a stranger and alien in this earth right now, I have a promise from God that I am taking to the bank that is 100% guarantee of what will come. So looking at the past and the future, we're stuck with something in the middle, which is the present, the here and now um, of life. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, that's all well and good for me um, today. That's all well and good to hear something about what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. But how does that help me right here in the here and now? That's a good question. That's why I've been thinking the same thing. Um, and so you might be thinking, well, I've have some difficulties. I maybe just lost my job. I have a sickness, as, as Phil mentioned, there's, there's a couple people here that we can be praying for, but there are a couple people who, who have sicknesses and diseases right now. Um, you might be thinking, how, how does this work out? How can I experience joy in the midst of these things? Well, Paul too, again, he gives us another great example. He gives us a personal testimony of himself because he, too, experienced these same things. Now, Paul, um, in 2 Corinthians, it's a, it's a kind of a resume of the worst of the worst you could have of, of the difficulties that, that he faced, that he was shipwrecked, that he was beaten, that he was mocked, all these kinds of things. Um, and so as he even writes this letter, this letter of Philippians, you might think, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's great. Paul's probably making a lot of money. He's um, doing what he wants to do. He's able, he's, he's a great evangelist, so he's probably going to all these different places. You couldn't be further from the truth. Paul, when he's writing the, the letter to the, the Philippians, he's in prison. He, he, he can't be going and doing everything that he wants. He is locked up, isolated, um, placed in prison for what, what people believe was, or, or what scripture lays out is is not his fault, that they, they, they had attested that he had brought in a Gentile into the Jewish temple, which was a no-no. Um, 
And so they had tested that, and so they had placed him under house arrest. And so he's probably in a cold, almost dungeon-like prison, um, chained to another, another Roman guard. And so Paul gives us a great example of, of what that looks like for us today. Because as we, we look to Philippians 1, he gives us a little bit of insight into what that looks like. And so starting in verse 12... This is kind of his little personal testimony here. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the Roman, the Roman guards, and all to the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me read 18 again. He says, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so it's interesting to, to, to see Paul's mindset on, on joy, that he is in a terrible situation. He's, he's isolated. He doesn't have his friends. He doesn't have family. He doesn't have the ability to go in and out. Um, but his desire is, hey, if Christ is being proclaimed, I rejoice in that. I can take joy in the fact that in the midst of my trials, Christ is being proclaimed, and that is, that is my heart's desire. And so as I was looking at this, I remember of the first passage that I actually looked up in Costa Rica. We had a, a project to look at a few verses um, to really kind of understand what, what they were talking about and the meaning behind those. And so if we can take a look real quick at James chapter 1, 2 verses 4. And James, again, is, is looking at what, what trials look like. And he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, it's really interesting for the first Three, three words, count it all, or four, four words, count it all joy. That's great, that count it all joy. But then he takes that comma and says, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, it, it's, it appears that those two things don't, in our minds, don't go together. Counting it all joy is great. We can be, be great and glad and delight in something. But he, Paul, um, James now is saying, when you meet trials of various kinds, it doesn't make that connection always with us of joy in the midst of trials. But as, as James looks at it here, he wants us to see that there's a purpose in our trials. There's a purpose in why we are having difficulties, while we're suffering, while we are struggling. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. Now, as, as we face difficulty, um, it, it gives us resolve, it, it makes us stronger, it gives us that perseverance. And he continues to say, and let your steadfastness 
have its full effect. I find those two words, full effect, very interesting because oftentimes in, in my life, and I would venture to say in all of our lives, that when we face trials, we immediately want them to be over and done with as soon as possible. God, get me out of this. I don't want to go through this. This is tough. This is difficult. We immediately want, God, I pray that you will remove this thing, make my life easier. I've prayed that prayer. But James is saying that the trial itself will have its full effect so that the trial will be completed in you so that, here's the purpose statement, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The purpose of this is that you will be mature. As Romans 8 calls us, is that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that is our goal for us, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so as we look at Paul's idea and James's idea, it's important to put those two together and understand what, what that means for us. Because what you think about the past and what you think about the future determines your present joy, determines if you have joy in the present. Um, because we need to understand the message of, of the gospel. We need to understand that we, we can't make, we can't manufacture, we, we can't find joy or find happiness in, in the places we want to. That oftentimes it's just the world says, seek happiness in, in whatever way that you want to. Um, seek, it's, it's seeking happiness in all the wrong places. It's sinful desires in which we want to seek after that are wrong desires. And we think if we are just generally good enough people that, okay, I... I will be able to, to get into heaven. I'll be able to twist God's arm to do that. But we need to truly understand the message of the gospel, that we have been separated from, from Jesus, that we have given him the stiff arm because we wanted to live our lives on our own. We wanted to be, hey, God, I know best. Talk to the hand because the face don't want to hear it kind of thing. Um, we, we are selfish in, in our desires. We, we are selfish in our, in our motives. And so we have rejected God. We have tossed him to the side. And, and as scripture lays out, we're hopeless. There's, there's no hope for us without Jesus. We are, we are lost. We're dead. These are words that I think sometimes we just read over and glance over. But the fact that there is no hope for us. If you've ever been in that season of when it just, everything just seems dark. Everything just, nothing is going right. Everything you try to do, it keeps making things worse. It's hopeless. Our, it, it, we're dead. We're incapable of, of reaching salvation. We're in, incapable of anything that we can do. But God, Ephesians, Ephesians 2 talks about, but God, because of his great mercy in which he loved us. This is when Jesus in the past has come. He had came, he had, he had given up what, what he rightly deserved to be the um, to be in heaven being worshipped to, to put skin on. He had came to this earth for his creation that had messed up, that had turned him aside. And for me, that's the thing that probably most boggles my mind is the fact of a holy and perfect and amazing God would still love a sinful people that reject and continue to reject him. 
that even though we in our, in our beings right now as followers of Christ still sin, still willfully sin sometimes, but yet Jesus' love, Jesus' love abounds more. That he gave up everything in, in the, the riches of heaven to come for us. That he not only came for us, he humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of being mocked, being spat upon, being beaten, being isolated in his time of need from his, his, closest, his closest disciples, that they were supposed to be the ones who were with him by his side, that they too even left him. That he alone was by himself, but God, because of his great love for us, died for us. So our hope is to be rooted in the past with sight towards the future, that this is my God, that the promises that he has, I can take, I can hold on to, and I can embrace them. That the future that the world says, um, and some Christians might even say that, okay, once you become a follower of Christ, it's all going to be easy. I think we, as follower of Christ, know that that's a lie, that it's not the ooey-gooey, oh, that everything's going to be great and, and awesome. It's difficult. There, there's times in life, um, there's, there's times when, in my life, this, this summer has not been what I had expected. I expected to come home from Costa Rica, work, save up a lot of money, go to seminary, go and do it, but God kind of changed those plans that I had. Um, God had wanted me to learn other lessons through that, and so our hope is to be secure in the future so that we can look and say, okay, Jesus is my joy in the future. I, I have hope I can experience present joy because of what he will um, bring in the future. So, again, looking at the past, looking at the future, we can have present joy. So we are to be a joyful people. We are to be a people who are exceedingly joyful. In the New Testament, that this word is used a lot. Like I said, in the Philippians, it's used because it's called the epistle of joy. We are to be joyful people, not those, not necessarily people at 6 a.m. when they wake up or super, it's a good morning, those, those people. I'm not one of those people. If you are, that's great. But I'm not that, that happy in the mornings. But our joy is to be rooted in what Jesus has done to shape our present reality and give us future hope. And so if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you do not know, have, have, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot experience true joy. You might be able to have times of happiness. You might be able to have, have times when, when life is going well, but that can change. That can change in, in a heartbeat. That can change in a minute. That can change in a day. You cannot experience true joy if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want us to understand, once again, that the definition of that I have for joy is Jesus is our eternal and soul-satisfying joy in the work and working of Jesus. That he has done this in the past, will promise us to do it in the future so that we can experience true and present joy. So I want to leave us with three things, three things to think about. Like I said, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot truly experience joy. You cannot have that in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties like Paul has that says, hey, 
as long as Christ's name is being made known, I can rejoice in that. That it doesn't matter necessarily what my present situation is. It doesn't matter um, what I'm going through right now, as long as, as Christ is being made great. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, talk to, talk to Matt, talk to Phil, talk to somebody here um, to see what, what that looks like, to understand the, the past in which Jesus has secured for us and the future in which he promises to secure um, for us. Number two, do you need to know Jesus better? The answer is yes. I think we all need to know Jesus better to understand that, yeah, sometimes in the storms of life, we have questions. We, we, we question God at what he's doing. And so my challenge to you, one application for us is, do we know Jesus? If not, what, what are we uncertain about? Is it, is it the past? Is it what Jesus had accomplished for us? Do we need to expound and, and study more on what the gospel truly is and being like, okay, this is who I am. This is what Jesus has done. Wow, if, if that, if looking at the past and realizing that Jesus had died for an unrighteous person like myself doesn't give you joy, I, I would encourage you to look at that. I would encourage you to study that more. Or maybe it's the future promise that things maybe aren't going well, that um, you might not have enough money for paying for your bills or, or what it may be. Is that faith and, and we just need to have greater hope in who Jesus is for us in the future. So maybe we're in one of those two camps. And thirdly, I would ask that an, an easy application for us is when we're joyful about something, we usually want to go and share it. We, we usually can't, can't help ourselves. That, that joy bubbles up in ourselves that we need to go and share it. One of those examples um, is right here in this room. It is my grandmother. Um, she, she always mentions and she talks about, oh, my grandkids are doing this and my grandkids are doing that, which, which is great and awesome. But she sometimes doesn't understand that my joy is in my, my great-grandmother. I've, I've been given a great-great-grandma that is, for some reason, still willing to cook for me and my brother every week the same meal. I think we have every, every week for like the past like five years, goulash. But there's a joy that comes with, with experiencing and knowing somebody that people in Costa Rica, my, my Costa Rican friends, know about my grandmother because I'm so excited to tell them about somebody that has impacted me so deeply. And so is our joy in Christ like that? Are we so excited? Are we so bubbling up that we're, we just want to tell people about Jesus? Because that's how joy should be. As we, as we look, um, as we've been looking in, in Acts, our joy should be bubbling up because Jesus has transformed our lives. If we truly believe, hey, I was, I was hopeless, I was lost, I was dead, and Jesus has given us hope, he is, we have been found in Christ, and we are made alive, we, that, that, that should do something in us. We should want to share that. We should do that verbally with people, but we should also demonstrate that with our lives. And so I want to challenge you with that this week. And so, once again, I want to close with the definition. Jesus is our eternal and soul-satisfying joy in the work and working of Jesus. So, with that said, I would like to pray for us before we would head out today. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done, that your past actions have 
secured in us a great joy that, we, that is the foundation for us. And we can look in the past and we can be changed by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That what you have done for us, that a undeserving, rebellious, selfish people, that you had taken our place on the cross. God, it's, it's, it's amazing to think about, and we're thankful and grateful. And as we look to the future, that we can see a promise from a promise keeper who has never broken his word, who has never broken a promise, that we can look to Jesus um, is, as somebody who is secure and has assured us that he will keep his word, that these promises to, to come in the future should shape our now. God, that what you have done for us, both in the past and present, should give us tremendous, exceedingly great joy for us to live today. And for some of us in, in this room who might have difficulties, um, who are suffering, who are in the midst of trials, God, I pray that that joy can, can be a testimony. I pray that they can live their lives in a, in a way that the world doesn't understand, in a way that um, doesn't always make sense to them. And God, so we thank you once again just for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.